Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Homo Sapiens, your one-stop LGBTQ plus cornucopia of joy and goodness. That's what this is. What have we got going on today? We have got none other than Tori Peters on the show. Now, Tori is an incredible author. She has written a book called Detransition Baby, which was longlisted for the Women's Prize for Fiction. And really interesting because Tori is a trans woman and she is the first person to ever be longlisted on the Women's Prize for Fiction. She got quite a lot of kickback about that which, you know, is really sad. But also I am thrilled that there is progress that she's been included on that list and rightly so that she should be there because this book is extraordinary. It's in sort of press and stuff and people talking about it, people have said there's a lot of similarities with Fleabag. And Fleabag sort of gets used quite a lot as a sort of parallel, but it actually really does feel Fleabaggy. The thing you feel when you read this book is you're like, oh my God, I can't believe you just said that. And the title is Detransition Baby. It's about a woman called Reese, who's a trans woman. And she is approached by an ex of hers called Ames. Ames is a man. Brackets, Ames was previously Amy. Ames had transitioned and became Amy and then detransitioned, hence the detransition in the title. Ames has got his boss pregnant. The boss is called Katrina. And they don't know if they want to keep the baby. And Ames and Katrina come to Reese, the lead character. Well, I think she's the lead, but I don't. I think they're all kind of even. And say, would you like to raise this child together? And it's about gender. It's about love. It's about family. It's about parenting. It's about transness. And it is, for me, was about taking away all the shame associated with gender and being deeply, deeply honest about who you are, which is kind of what Fleabag did. She was very honest about her faults. And Reese, the lead character, feels like this crazy honest person who is really in touch with all of their faults, all of her faults, and being as upfront and unafraid of them. It's it's just an extraordinary book. I'm so excited to talk to Tori about this. It's a brilliant interview where we talk about so much interesting stuff. So before we go over and have a chat with Tori, let me remind you of a few things. If you would like to win a Homo Sapiens t-shirt, please go to Apple Podcasts and give us a rate and review. Can't tell you how much it really helps rating and reviewing the podcast. If you want to get in touch with us about anything else, it's hello at homosapienspodcast.com. Give us a follow on Instagram at Homo Sapiens. So I'm so excited for you to hear this chat. She's full of mischief. That's what I love about Tori. And we talk about all sorts of things. She's actually been very vocal about JK Rowling as well, who has obviously been really despicable in her attitude to trans women, but has really spoken about how a lot of JK's rage, she said this in an interview, appears to have been directed at 
trans women and it's misappropriated and she sort of speaks with quite a lot of compassion for jk rowling and how that she should um you know feels like she has empathy for this misplaced rage rather than looking for a fight and i think that's really interesting and actually is is very much about how tori seems to look at the world differently that is both entertaining that is a really interesting beautiful and also downright funny she's so funny so here it is let's go and have a chat with tori about her book detransition baby and much much more i tell you i love a podcast where you just get to i mean it, i guess it fits the title of homo sapien i just get to be a person so exactly tori can i start by asking you what are your pronouns and they are she and her okay cool mine are he and him at time of print (laughs) but yeah sorry i just wanted to check in case i got it wrong that is good that's good protocol i think so i feel like it is more and more now isn't it yeah i think it's like it is good protocol except i feel like when i'm around all trans women and then because culturally we do it i think more than everybody else so Mm. then also we are more sick of it and it's like and there's like uh we've gone like through like the wormhole and now we're all like annoyed to have to say our pronouns even though like yes. the the very culture of asking for pronouns i wouldn't say it's entirely on our behalf but there's you know there's a way in which that is that is the case so it's it's funny it's like in a certain way the pronoun check for me is like a oddly cis phenomenon like <laughs> in a certain way like but i'm nonetheless uh appreciative of it i know what you mean though because it actually one of the things you said about your book which i absolutely adored i think it's i think it's extraordinary like congratulations and thank you for writing it but one of the things that i have heard you say about the process of writing your book which i think it's why it's particularly interesting is that there have been several tiers of queer literature and tears of trans literature and the first you you summed it up beautifully like the first one is like apology the second is blah blah yeah. and then the fourth is now where people are actually catching up and we see the rest of the world through the filter of the minority would you explain that to sure me? yeah it just was like Pow. well um the first three are from joanna russ the the writer writing about women's literature in 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 the 70s and she was sort of writing about minority literature in general but the idea is that there's there's stages that any sort of minority or marginalized literature goes through. And the first stage is, is writers basically saying, um, we're just like you, like, don't worry. Like, uh, you know, we're safe. We, you can, you can deal with us. And the second stage is a sort of like, actually we're nothing like you. We reject you. We're like punk, you know, like we don't need your approval. We don't care about your approval. And, uh, you know, like, go away, dad, sort of like that, <laughs> that sort of uh, era of stage of, of writing. And then the third one is actually we have, we have nothing to do with you one way or another. Like the terms by which we understand ourselves are not the terms that are set by, by anyone else. We set our own terms. So those are, those were kind of John Russ's stages. And I read that and I thought that there's kind of a fourth stage that we're entering now, which is when the dominant culture or the mainstream or the center, whatever you want to call it, starts understanding themselves through the terms set by a minority group. So in this, so mm. it's historically happened with like 
say, um, straight people, like straight people under, understand their own sexuality. They talk about their sexuality through terms that were, you know, created and, and lenses that were invented by, by queer, by queer thinkers, queer scholars. Like you ask, like the very term heterosexuality came about because the term homosexuality came first as like, you know, not to get into like Foucault or something like that, but that's, and similarly, let's, go let's do it. Let's just, <laughs> let's just name all the theorists we've read. We can just impress everybody. Um, <laughs> that would be a short list, Maya, let me tell you. <laughs> um, but, you know, similarly, you have things like uh, like the way that white people talk about themselves and the white people talk about race, you know, oftentimes through terms that are set by uh, thinkers of color and, you know, black scholars. And that my mm. contention is that essentially something is happening right now with trans lenses and trans thought where cis people are beginning to understand their own gender through lenses that were largely thought up or needed by trans people, that actually we all have genders and it's trans people who have come up with the language to very accurately describe different types of gender performances. So instead of, it's, mm. you know, instead of sort of like gender and biological sex being perfectly tied one to the other, um, we can talk about genders in all sorts of different ways. Like your gender, instead of like being a man, your gender could be like a cowboy, like a cowboy is a gender or, you know, um, uh, ballerina is like a gender. Like, you know, I'm being a little bit facetious in those choices, but it's, those are performances of a kind of gender. It's a gender performance, right? Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. And so a thing that I talk about is like one, one of my, one of my straight friends, um, he had a Tinder profile and he, he, in his Tinder profile, he has a picture of him holding a fish, you know, and, uh, and, uh, you know, and this is like a thing that like guys do, you guys are like, here's a fish. I have a fish. And I asked him, I was like, Mike, do you fish? And he's like, well, I fished a couple of times, you know, I was like, well, why did you, why do you have a picture of a fish in your Tinder profile? It's not like you're going to go to the first date and like smack, you know, a fish on the table and be like, see, I can provide for you woman. Like, you know, I bring you food and it, but, but actually that is what he was signaling. Like, that's like, it's like, I'm a, I'm a man's man. I, I can catch an animal for you. And I don't know if you can get it or whatever, but, but this is like these kind of like unspoken, like that's a gender performance. That's like an everyday gender performance to kind of do a thing. And, and I don't think that, my friend had the language to be like, I did a gender performance in my, in my Tinder profile, but we talked about it. And then afterwards he was like, you know, I'm, uh, I took down the fish. I, t- I don't think, I don't think he was doing <laughs> what I thought it was going to do for me. <laughs> like, <laughs> but, well, it's kind of, um, also like, I, it's so common on those apps, like Tinder, that fish thing. And I'm always yeah. like, hey, how come all these people go fishing? It's also like a very, it's the gentlest version of hunter gatherer yeah. providing, isn't it? It's like there's no blood. Yeah, it just it just pulled it out of the water. Yeah, I might even throw it back. You know, we don't know. Yeah, this picture. I'm kind. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm kind. And but I suppose it's like that idea of like once you've seen all that stuff, if yeah. you have had any questions around your gender and or sexuality, which are two different things, you I feel like. I've always had this thing. It's like, I, I feel like I can see the matrix, the ones yeah. and zeros of it all. And cause I know that like, I've been through that stuff. Yeah. So you notice that that what is performative and once you've seen it, you can't unsee it right. in cis straight people or whatever. Like, 
because you've spoken a bit about um i can't quite remember your wording but it was very funny about how um the kardashians are actually people oh. who've transitioned from female to female right right i call them you know because so people often say like the old term was like male to female transsexual so i said that um the kardashians are female to female transsexuals uh in that you know <laughs> i got a little <laughs> bit yelled on on twitter for that but they're female to female transsexuals in that what they're doing is that they're sort of like they figured out a series of um kind of gender performances and, and even surgeries and interventions to sort of like highlight secondary sex, uh, feminine secondary sex traits, behaviors, presentations. What are those? Is that- like, well, so the interesting thing about the Kardashians and which is why I feel entitled to call them transsexuals is that so much of what they've taken, some of it is they've taken from sort of black culture. Some of it they've taken from just like generalized, like, you know, feminine presentation and, and, but a lot of it is actually from drag culture and trans Mm. feminine culture. Like the way that in like the, in like 2014, they were like contouring like crazy, like they're they're contouring their cheeks so much. That's like straight from drag, you know, like, cause, cause Mm. for drag, you got to really like cut your cheekbones and the super exaggerated hourglass shape, um, a lot of those surgeries that, that you can get for your, you know, especially like hip implants, those came about because like a lot of trans femme people were injecting silicone to get that sort of shape. And there's sort of drag padding for that, like really. And out of that came these high end sort of like hip implant surgeries and things like that, which, mm. you know, I don't actually know, like there's been speculation that the Kardashians have had implant, hip implant surgery, but I don't, I can't, I have no proof of that, so I don't want to like. Thank God you've clarified; yeah. otherwise, we'd have quite the lawsuit yeah. that would end us. <laughs> well, you know, <laughs> I, I know, know in the you... UK there's defamation laws, so. Oh yeah, you don't have them in America, no, in... do you? That's why it's an absolute bunfight. It's only for this podcast that I have a disclaimer. <laughs> <laughs> you should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection. Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. What's really interesting that you just said that I have never considered is there is that people can have a fixation with trans people. Um, often if you Google them, what comes up uh, is suggested is before, after. Yeah. And what also happens is they do the same with the Kardashians. People are obsessed with what they, what Courtney looked like when she was younger. Totally. Because she didn't look the way that she does now. 
Yeah, that's absolutely something that's going on with the Kardashians. And like um, the nice thing about the Kardashians is that they make transition available to everybody, right? That like that that they've given you the they've given everybody a model and permission to be like, well, if you want to transition. Um, you don't necessarily have to transition across genders. You can transition within your gender. You, know, you can go from you can go from I don't know uh, Oxford scholar to Marlboro man if that's your if that's your tra- if that's the trajectory yes. you'd like your transition to take. You know, and um, and that in fact that's actually very freeing, right? To to instead of being like we have to we're just we are away and we have to stay away. Um, you can change, and it also means that like none of it is really real. Like there's no Mm. sort of authenticity. And I think that that's, that is itself freeing. Like um, if you like a particular type of man, like let's say you like a laconic woodsman, let's say. Yeah. uh, uh, Absolutely up my street. Just so you know, you know, you (laughs) you don't actually have to like go into the woods and find a man who's been living in his long johns, not speaking to humans and eating only pancakes for, uh, the last <laughs> 10 years, you can ask your partner to do that performance for you. And if none of it is real, then there's nothing worse about your partner doing it than the man who's lived in the woods and has no social skills. So might as well find the person with social skills, you know, like that. This is it. Yeah. So, you know, instead of like, I think about this a lot, you know, as having dated men as a woman, that it's like, actually, maybe, maybe don't, the things that I thought I needed or that were like markers of masculinity that were like authentic getting rid of authenticity means that I can actually date nice people who treat me well and just ask them like, you know, to do a thing for a little, be mean for <laughs> just two chop hours. some wood. Yeah. Chop some wood, <laughs> be mean two hours. Then we're back to, you know, treating each other well. Um, and that's, that's an enjoyable way to live. It's so true. And I'm being mischievous cause you're being mischievous, but like, <laughs> I always remember saying to my friends when we were younger, that if you, my other gay male friends being like the problem is if you find someone who's like a really hot thug the problem is like that's really hot for a second but then you've got to spend the rest of the day with them and it's really boring so what's the point and i'm being reductive and i'm being rude but like it is it's sort of there's something in the idea of like incorporating kinks into actual the real everyday life that's not going to work and and i think that like that is also quite you know, I think that a hot thug is a hot thug because he thinks oftentimes he has to be, right? That yes. that's that he has to be. And that if you can tell that hot thug, like, look, all you need to do is do it for like 10 minutes, first impression, then you can be decent, you know, that that would actually be quite freeing for the hot thugs of the world to like, to, to basically be like, ah, oh, I can take off this like performance. I can take off this armor that is exhausting that I wear every single day without change, mm. that that's, that'll be quite liberating for the hot thugs of the world. I would, I would, I, I've never spoken before to an audience of hot thugs, but I'm just going to, <laughs> I'm going to pretend. Between us, we can find one. Yeah. But no, I think it's really, I, I think it is interesting that the most kind of, um, a stereotypical toxic masculinity, ultra hyper masculine men I have uh, dated, like in short, brief moments, it's never been long term, have always been the most childlikely 
fragile underneath i've always found i've I've always found like i thought that i was weak because i was very feminine this is my own shit you know i had when i was younger but then i would be with these people who i would be drawn to because i thought they made me better this is all when i was younger but i was like god you're like a you're so fragile and i I think that mass men are actually the most fragile i think they might be fragile i think they also might just be exhausted you know like (laughs) Like, it's just a lot of work. And it's a lot of work, you know, when I say that, hey, here's some language that people can use, you know, it's a lot of work that they can't ever name. They can't ever, Mm -hmm. they don't have language for the fact that like every day day, you have to get up and you have to be tough and you have to like repress your feelings and you have to do all this stuff. Like, that is tiring. That is like, you Mm -hmm. know, it's not even like, it's like when I'm tired, I'm fragile too. So it's like, you know, just giving them this language, you know, when people, when I say this, that the, like the gender performance is actually, and like the language that the trans people uh, have come up with, most of my book is about how it's how it could be useful for cis women, um, and like also is like you know a story and doing all this other stuff. But the <laughs> the 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 thing that nobody ever asks is the way it could be useful for cis men, especially like hyper masculine cis men, um, and they're the ones who are most apt to sort of reject it out of hand to not consider it and i would argue that cis men especially hyper masculine cis men are the ones who are most exhausted all the time by their gender Mm. that's fascinating so let's talk about the book Mm -hmm. um for listeners because i i want i want everybody to read this book it, it's called detransition baby tell me like your you've i've heard you do many very pithy sort of yeah. little summaries about what it's about um it's about a woman named reese who's sort of like i describe her as like flea bag but trans and mm. in brooklyn um her life's kind of a mess she's sleeping with married men and then the action of the book kind of kicks off when her ex who's named Ames and is a detransition trans woman gets his boss, Katrina, a cis woman pregnant and comes to Reese and says, do you want to try and raise this baby as like sort of a threesome in this unconventional mm-hmm. family? And then there's lots of drama and hijinks and, you know, et cetera, as, as that premise, which is, I mean, that what I just described is basically the first chapter um, as that premise then is is carried out over um, the rest of the book. Yes. And I think when you said Fleabag, when I first heard about the book and there was mention of Fleabag and stuff, I was really interested. And then I read your book and it is like Fleabag, but it sort of isn't as well. But, but I think what, what unifies the two is this incredible capability that you have to speak innermost thoughts that we all have without shame um or perhaps they are shame but you know that you, yeah. letting them out is in fact you, you know there's a release in it right and yeah. i always feel like reese is you and i know that's wrong yeah. but <laughs> i feel like yeah well no it's funny because some people think you know that i was happy because i feel like i achieved a certain sex in the cityness where people identify with their sex in the city characters and that <laughs> readers of the book identify with either reese katrina or Ames, like, and I've seen people on Twitter be like, I'm a Reese, I'm, uh, I'm an Ames, I'm a, I'm a Katrina. That's amazing. um, You know, that, that you think I'm a Reese, I don't know if it says more about me or you. (laughs) So I think I suppose I felt like 
I think I suppose it's the flea bag of it all that like yeah. Phoebe felt like flea bag. Uh, Reese is possibly the out of all the characters the person who is throwing their guts on the table and being like deal with it and I think that for me always translates back to like there's a person behind that because Mm. it is so powerful to do that to talk about because Sean Fay she said that reading it she felt like you were letting out secrets for trans women that she was like oh don't go there and I was like no that's where you gotta go right yeah I mean I think that I've said this you know a couple times that that usually if I start to feel shame when I'm writing I'm like this is I'm on the right track because um, you know if I either make myself sort of cringe and laugh at the same time it's like oh uh, you know (laughs) but a lot of that is like places of shame are usually like the places of urgency and, and I mm-hmm. look for the places of urgency um, because usually if it's urgent for me, it's urgent for readers, you know, and, and that, that when you name something and when you put something into language, it, it immediately isn't that dangerous. Like the, the things that seemed, if I said, I have a family secret, well, it could be anything, right? It could be the darkest, worst, you know, like <laughs> thing in the world. And if I'm like, the family secret is like, there's a dog buried in our backyard or something like that. I don't, mm. I don't know. I said dog. <laughs> People would be like, that's weird, but it's like, not that, you know, it's like the shame around it is what is, uh, yes. what is so. And so when you speak this stuff, I think it's like actually very freeing and also is like a site of, uh, yeah, I, I think you're, justified to do almost anything if it feels urgent you know like that Mm. urgency is what justifies what i share and when you say urgent do you mean like it feels explosive in a physical sense or what does that it feels like like urgency feels like it's like i have to share it like this is eating away at me you know and Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and that is i think what shame is too like shame eats away at people only that like people think they can't ever share it Whereas for me, it's like, I try to basically be like, if something is eating away at me and it's shame, it means that I immediately must share it. (laughs) (laughs) Here we are in the grocery store and I'm just going to tell you. (laughs) (laughs) But were you always that kind of person anyway? No, I I came to it late. I was a very repressed person. Um, Mm -hmm. And I, I, I lived a lot of repression and a lot of shame. And a lot of it was that I didn't know that I could speak it. And so much of, there was so much fear that sort of, accrued around shame that if you had asked me, like, I, I thought I talked about some of like my early, like the early first times I slept with men, like, especially dressed mm. as like a woman. Um, there was one, there was a town that was near my college. And if you'd asked me like, uh, have you ever been to Chicopee, Massachusetts, Tori? I would have told you never in my life had I been to Chicopee, Massachusetts, <laughs> even though I was sleeping with a man in Chicopee, Massachusetts. And I wouldn't have, it, that wouldn't have been, immediate that wouldn't have been like me who, who was like i gotta oh i have been to chickpea but i gotta lie to you <laughs> it was like it was immediate it was like in the moment that i said i've never been to chickpea i i believed it and so i didn't even yes. know that a lie was being told and that kind of that is what i think shame does is it allows you to lie and repress without even know knowing that you've done it and mm-hmm. so that you can say, I've never been to Chicopee, Massachusetts, and you can, you can truly believe it as you say it. And what I learned as both like a person and as a writer is that like to sense those moments, to sense the moment in which 
something is feels so urgent that it that there aren't even words available for you to express it and that's the place yes. to like just start digging and see what see what that thing that you can't speak that you that you don't even have words for see what it is like uh, un uncover it yeah and do you think that you find it so easy to tell the lie because in a way there's something about an idea of duality that you've actually created this other person within you who does that stuff and actually you as you present doesn't do that stuff i mean yeah i was very i mean part of transition for me was discovering that i had done that you know like i didn't Mm -hmm. know that i had done that and transition was like about realizing all of these coping mechanisms all these ways in which i had you know dissociated or repressed or all this all this kind of stuff and that you know, people think about transition as a, as an act of, oh, I took hormones and I grew my hair or whatever. And for me, the, the like devastating work of, of transition was discovering like, oh, I've, I've been lying, like not, you know, I didn't know it, but I've been lying to, and not just that I am a man. I wasn't, you know, I thought, I realized I thought I was a man and I was telling the world, but that was more like a mistake. It was that I've been, I've been lying about what I care about, who I am, where I've been, what matters. And I didn't know that I was lying. Uh, mm-hmm. And I didn't know the ways that those were, that those that I was afraid that I did that because I was afraid and that I was coping and that all this stuff. And, um, you know, it, it made it difficult to trust myself for, for a period of years. You know, it was like, I really thought I had it together. And it turns out all the stuff that I had said wasn't true. And so, mm a lot of the ways in which I learned to write was about learning kind of how to say the real thing before any sort of psychological processes could, could begin to cover it up or bury it. That's the end of part one. I am in love with Tori Peters. Uh, hope you all are too. Stick around for part two. It's on the feed. Go have a look. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Powered by Spirit Studios.